biblical literacy back to basics. Let's talk. How do you define biblical literacy? Where do you start on day one? What resources do you reach for? I'm Mark Ward, host of the Bible Study Magazine podcast, and I had a conversation with Dr. Wendy Witter about all these things, and I followed it up by sitting down with friends and coworkers here at Faith Life to talk about these same important topics. We want to help you achieve and or promote biblical literacy, and we've got to get back to basics. The Bible Study Magazine podcast is brought to you by Bible Study Magazine, delivering tools and methods for Bible study from respected scholars and church leaders. Right now, start a free trial. Get six months of fresh insights on achieving greater Bible literacy. Visit BibleStudyMagazine.com slash trial today. Wendy Witter, thank you for appearing on the Bible Study Magazine podcast. You've done a good bit of work for Faith Life in many areas. I just want to have you tell our listeners, who are you and what do you do and what have you done for Faith Life? Um, I worked for Faith Life officially from 2012 to 2015. I was in-house in Bellingham working uh, in the publications department for a year and a half and then working in the mobile ed department for a year and a half. And then I moved away from Washington to the great Midwest, back home actually, to Minnesota. And I started working as an independent contractor, still for mobile ed and working with um, the courses that they were preparing. And um, I've written a couple articles over the years, probably the last 10 years or so. How old is Bible Study Magazine? Um, I wrote articles for Bible Study Magazine off and on over the years. Great. So I... Um, Actually, I have a PhD in Old Testament Hebrew, but I was looking for a full-time teaching job about the time the academy tanked and the economy tanked and jobs dried up for the most part. So what I've mostly done is adjunct work, um, some online courses and teaching here and there when I have a good opportunity to do it. I notice on your Amazon profile, Dr. Witter, that you have a Master of Divinity with a focus on education. And I wonder if that might not help you with our theme in this particular talk. We are talking about basic Bible study methods that contributes to our overall first season theme of biblical literacy. Uh, do you think that your work in that area gives you any insight into helping beginners with their Bible study? I hope so, but um, I can't tell you that for sure. I majored in that, or that was my track in my MDiv program, uh, because my background is education. I started my adult career as an elementary school teacher and taught fifth grade for six years and then spent another two years working with a specialty program for elementary kids. And so when I went off to seminary at age 30, um, it was a natural fit to do educational ministries because that's what I was familiar with. Education is my background. So that's what took me that way. So Dr. Witter, where do you start on day one with Bible study if you want to be biblically literate? That's a really loaded question. And I have to tell you, I've thought a lot about it. And what I keep coming back to is, and maybe this is something you've already talked about in these podcasts, is what do we mean by biblical literacy? Excellent. Um, and I, I'm not 
I have an idea of what that might mean, but I'm curious to know on your end of things, what, how do you define that? Well, that, you know, that's a loaded question. Uh, (laughs) We have not defined that. We have left it sort of implicit. If I'm put on the spot and have to define it, I would say, you know, it really is a lot like educated. What does it mean to be educated? Well, you know, you could point to SAT scores and other quote unquote objective measures, but then there are people who would not do so well that you would call educated and the occasional person who does well in the SAT who isn't educated. It really is kind of like that famous line from the Supreme Court case where I know it when I see it. Maybe a practical way that that I would put it, and please, you know, give me your understanding too, I'd love to be enriched, (laughs) is that you're able to join the conversation, uh, at least understanding the conversation that goes on about the Bible among Hmm. Bible-believing Christian circles. Um, And what's more, you know, ideally make some kind of contribution uh, when you're with your church friends. You're not left high and dry wondering what in the world they're talking about and having nothing to say. I think that's good. That's a that's a helpful way to think about it. I think the um, the idea of an educated person, I mean, that means something to people, whether or not we can actually define that or to what extent someone is educated isn't necessarily something we have to define. Um, I guess in terms of what I think of for biblical literacy, I, I want to add some qualifiers, first of all, and Muse well, about- you're a PhD. You have to, right? Yeah, I do. I do. There are no easy answers. Um, I, I want to muse about the question of if you ever reach your goal. Like, are you ever suddenly biblically literate? And the the reason I ask that question is because then if you've reached your goal, are you then no longer in need of Bible study? So I'm framing it that way because I'm thinking about Bible study methods and why do we do it? What's the point? Um, Is it just to acquire knowledge or is there something more? And on one hand, yes, it is a matter of acquiring knowledge. You, You cannot, you just can't join the conversation if you don't have a certain amount of knowledge. Um, but as someone who's gone through an awful lot of schooling and particularly schooling on the Bible, um, I'm really aware of the danger of just acquiring the knowledge Sure, where the Bible is a, a source of study. It's an academic resource and you learn about it, but if you only learn about it, you've really missed the point of it, uh, which is of course, transformation and divine revelation, uh, knowing God being changed by the spirit. So I, I want to, I just want to sure. add that qualifier that I, Anything you follow in Bible study methods, on one hand, you'll reach a goal, perhaps, but the goal should keep moving. Um, that is, should never be something you just cross the line and now I'm biblically illiterate. That is really sound wisdom. And of course, as an employee of Faith Life who makes products for people in Bible study, I have to clarify that any definition of biblical literacy that in encourages people not to buy any more books must be bad. You know, there is no, (laughs) there is no point at which you're validated and now you don't have to know anything else. Um, You know, nonetheless, there's no point in lamenting the biblical illiteracy in the culture or in the church if there isn't something called biblical literacy. So let's, you know, you and I are both PhDs. We like to do a bunch of throat clearing before we (laughs) actually say anything substantive and that's necessary and good. But 
describe to me then the person that is biblically literate. And then we'll get on back to question number one. We'll get back to your actual questions. (laughs) Well, I think in terms of biblical literacy, you have to know the basic structure of the Bible, um, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the books contained therein, the rhyme and reason to their order. You just have to be familiar with the actual book. Um, What is it? Where did it come from? Um, And that's not something you necessarily learn by studying the Bible, but you learn by studying about the Bible. Um, So I think that's part of it, just understanding the basic structure and where the book came from and what it represents. And I think another key part of biblical literacy is knowing the story that the Bible tells, the whole meta narrative for big theological word we like the to The grand use. story. Um, what is the story from Genesis to Revelation? Because if you don't have a handle on that, then you're just picking and choosing, you know, you're, you're picking flowers without ever seeing the bouquet. You just don't have a sense of what is the significance of what you're reading. So I think that's a key part of biblical literacy. I hope you haven't copyrighted that particular illustration. That's really great. I Picking haven't. flowers without <laughs> seeing the bouquet. Yeah, put that in an article. Um, so what I think what you're, you're starting to give an implicit answer to question number one, where do you start on day one with Bible study if you want to be biblically literate? We're not just talking about reading the Bible, although it would be awfully foolish of us to say, well, don't do that yet if you want to be biblically <laughs> literate. You have to read the Bible. But for example, maybe, um, you know, I've, I've had Bible, uh, printed Bible editions, which had short introductions to each Bible book, or I've had more developed study Bibles, which had more lengthy introductions and a bunch of notes. At the very least, reading something like those introductions alongside of reading the Bible would you say that's a good place to start on day one with Bible study? That's a good place to start on day one. I think I would actually back up one more, one, back up a day. So before day one. Okay. Um, I would get a, whether it's a college textbook, you know, your freshman year textbook, um, or whether it's a Bible handbook, something that gives you the whole story in one sitting. Um, and some study Bibles do that at the beginning. They'll just tell you the whole story. And I've just finished skimming uh, Mike Kaiser's book, What Does God Want? And he does a great job in the first few chapters of taking you through the whole story. So what's the story? If you don't know the story, you have no idea how the pieces fit. Yeah, the framework, the you know, the view of the jigsaw puzzle is so necessary before you can understand where the pieces fit. Or have you ever read or do you recommend my favorite is Von Roberts' uh, God's Big Picture. In a real short space, he's able to cover that whole story, and still you feel like um, he's including enough detail that uh, it's very rich. I don't know if that's come across your desk. It has not, but it sounds like a good resource. Well, it's a good one. What's helpful for me, when, whenever I teach introductory Bible courses, I spend the first day at least, sometimes more than one day, just doing a timeline talking through the narrative. How does the story from Genesis to Revelation fit in history? Because the Bible is God's story in history. It's him working through what he's created. And you know we get to see that told in a certain way in the Bible. But if, if we have a sense of the history of the storyline, that just makes a big difference. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And I find it a little bit sad in my own history that that storyline um, didn't 
didn't uh, make an impression on me until deep into my Christian education, 20 years in, I would say. I think people tried to show it to me, but I, I just couldn't see. They would try to toss me into the basket underneath a hot air balloon and, you know, take me up into the heights so I could look at the whole forest. But I don't know why, whether it was immaturity or spiritual blindness, that I, I couldn't see. But once I was brought up to that height, I I feel like that's the biggest advance I ever made in Bible study. I had tended to think of Bible study more as a something you do with a magnifying glass mm-hmm. than something you do with a hot air balloon. Mm-hmm. And now I've come to see it's both. Right. Can we talk about that magnifying glass, though? We've talked about the hot air balloon. <laughs> um, what tools should a beginner have for Bible study, especially when you get into those mm-hmm. details? Well, I would recommend you have two Bibles at least. So I don't know how familiar your listeners are with different kinds of Bibles, um, but there are some that are written in a really readable English, very easy style. So like the NIV or the NLT, Um, they really aim for even an elementary school audience just to be able to read it and follow it. So I'd recommend a translation like that. And then I'd recommend a translation that we like to call more wooden or literal. Formal. uh, Like the... Yeah, formal. Mm -hmm. The New American Standard or the ESV, something that's going to give you um, a better grip on the actual words in the original language, which you don't have to study. But if you can see them represented in English, it will help you when you try to work through some of the tools that you'll use. So I think that those are just two basics, two different versions of the Bible. And sometimes it's helpful too, just for perspective. You read something in one translation. And like, I don't quite understand what they're saying. If you read in a different translation, you'll get a different perspective, which doesn't mean it has two meanings. <laughs> it just means that, oh, there's a right. question here. Um, and I think one of the most basic things about Bible study Excellent. is asking questions. Yeah. Um, uh, once again, as an employee of Faith Life and someone who really believes in Logos Bible software <laughs> and uses it personally every day and did for years before I ever thought I'd come to this company, um, comparing Bible translations uh, that's one of the things that the software is designed to do. There are many other tools for it. There are online sites like the Bible Gateway or Bible Hub that you know make it easy for you to compare Bible translations. I I, I just could not agree more. For me, textual criticism is personal. I don't just do biblical studies for a living. I actually believe the stuff in the Bible. I. I want to hear the unadulterated words of God. And yeah, I I find it unpleasant as someone who believes in the inspiration and authority of the Bible to have to talk about errors in the manuscript transmission process. For the last few years, I've been on the lookout for careful, level-headed, well-researched introductions that will help me help others understand the disciplines of, of Old Testament and New Testament textual criticism. I have found a great resource written by Wendy Witter and Amy Anderson in the Lexham Methods series. It's simply called Textual Criticism of the Bible, and it has come out fairly recently in a revised edition. One of the things I like about the book compared to most others I've run into is that it teaches Old Testament and New Testament textual criticism at the same time. Another is that it does the patient and difficult work of not just talking out loud, but actually coming up with examples, many, many of them. Textual criticism is, I think, a tempest in a teapot. On no view available can you come up with a Bible that says Jesus 
his body from the tomb. But boy, does that tempest rage in that teapot. If you need help sailing through the storm, let Witter and Anderson be your guides. I just went back through the whole thing, and I was very impressed. It answered some simple questions I had that I was afraid to ask lest I appear dumb. It also got into some fun and nerdy detail that I've been needing personally. Witter and Anderson have done their homework, all the way up to and including the most recent major Greek New Testament edition from Tyndall House that just came out not that long ago. If you need to do your homework, get their book at leximpress.com, Textual Criticism of the Bible, Revised Edition. And now let me let me ask you uh, a question. I I grew up uh, in the King James only movement, and I have written a book recently myself, authorized the use and misuse of the King James Bible, and done a documentary where I'm arguing for the, exactly what you said. We should take the embarrassment of riches that we have in English Bible translation and use those riches. These are these are uh, gifts of God. You know, Paul says in First Corinthians three, "All are yours." Peter, Paul, Apollos. You know, Christian Standard Bible, New International Version, ESV, NLT. Um, there are so many good ones to recommend. I have tended, however, to say, and this is something I'm still exploring and I would appreciate your perspective on, I've tended to say that the more formal translations should be considered sort of the baseline and maybe you want to start there and then move to the um, more dynamic, less formal translations like the NIV and the CSB. Neither, however, am I really upset if you know a kid, for example, starts with the NIV. I just tend to think you want to get back to that baseline. Would you consider that an accurate way of describing the situation or would you put it differently? I think that's pretty good. I think there's a distinction we probably should make between Bible reading or Bible devotional reading and Bible study. Um, they're different things. And so you're not always going to sit down with your all your study notes. Well, you might if you're using Lagos. <laughs> Every time you go to read the Bible, you may not have all those tools. Sometimes you just want 15 minutes. You want to think through some Psalms. You want to meditate on something that's a little lighter, something like that. Bible reading versus Bible study. Okay, I really want to dig into this passage. I really want to dig into this book. And so for Bible reading, your more devotional type reading, I think NIV, NLT, whatever, um, works pretty well. Just because it, you don't get stuck on language that's unfamiliar at that point, just for reading, devotional reading. Right. For and Bible study, you definitely want the NASB or the ESV or whatever the your, your choice is. So the translation you take up in the hot air balloon with you is the NIV yes. uh, or the NLT. And yes. a teacher of mine said, hey, I'm assigning you to read you know, this massive portion of the Old Testament Use the NIV, you'll get through more quickly. Um, and then in other classes I took, you know, when we had the magnifying glasses out, we tended to train them on the more uh, uh, formal translations. Now, let me shift gears a little bit, however, because there's another major tool, uh, a, sort of a conceptual tool, that I think most people pretty well intuit in most places in the Bible, but it's still really helpful to name it. How important is it to understand literary genres of the Bible when one is first picking up the Bible? Uh, it's really important. It's, it's basic. Um, 
we know in our native language, our first language, how to read different things. We just know it. If I pick up a recipe, I know what I'm reading. If I pick up um, a classified ad, I know what I'm reading. If I open a book, I can tell pretty quickly whether it's a fairy tale or a history book. Once upon a time. Exactly. And if we misread things, we get in trouble. So think of all the times you've seen people respond to an article from the Babylon Bee or the Onion in outrage at, you know, this thing has happened when it's a satire. You know, they're responding to something that, okay, that didn't really happen. Satire, you have to read it. They're missing the genre. So we get into all kinds of trouble if we don't read according to genre. We don't think about that in our first language because we just do it. But when you come to the Bible, you can get in the same kind of trouble. So if you don't know whether you're reading narrative or poetry and is this figurative language, should I take this literally? How am I supposed to read this? Um, You will find yourself making all sorts of wacky applications. So it's really important. And I think of literary genre as it's a kind of writing that requires a particular kind of reading in order to correctly understand it. What is a realistic goal that a beginner should set for the first year of his or her Bible study, you know, regarding biblical literacy, how much do you think someone can accomplish in a year? I have no idea. Um, because it varies. It varies on a person's commitments, their time. It varies on their intellect, their background, what they all bring to it. Um, so I don't know. I think you can set goals. I mean, everybody's going to have to determine their own schedule and what their knowledge is and what their church life is like. Do they, are they, are they being fed other places um, or are they just studying this on their own? Um, But I, I think you want to know the basic story. You want to, um, again, that takes, I mean, that takes us back to our definition of what does it mean to be biblically literate? So I, I can't set a goal. Sure. You know, I, I think that actually is an excellent answer and it's the one I would have wanted. Um, because it's hopeful, you know, we're not here setting out a list of lesson objectives that people have got to master or, you know, even God forbid, a set of propositions that someone has to memorize. Not that those things are bad, mm-hmm. um, but we're, we're saying this is a tool of God to speak to his church, to speak to the world. And he may have different priorities for your biblical literacy this year than you could possibly imagine when you try to set out a goal. So I'm not disappointed at all in your answer. I think that all this throat clearing that we're both doing here is a way of saying that um, God is allowed to have different purposes in people's lives and, um, and allowed to bring them through different paths to biblical literacy. Now, let me get practical again. I just read a passage in the Gospels, let's say, something enigmatic that Jesus said. And in fact, I personally am now listening to the Gospel of Matthew, finished the Old Testament in an audio Bible I really enjoyed, and now I'm on in my uh, app to uh, the end of Matthew. And Jesus says a number of enigmatic things. And of course, I've read them many, many times, and some of them I've dug into. But I remember being a teenager and encountering these things for the first time. And at that point, I had zero awareness of commentaries, of Bible study tools, of Logos Bible software. And I I wonder for that person who reads this saying from Jesus and has zero idea what it, what he means, what does that person do? Yeah, I think you, we didn't finish talking about tools. So I think in addition to having your different versions or translations of the Bible, um, you ought to have a 
Bible handbook or an introduction, whether it's like, um, I think of Andrew Hill and John Walton's introductory textbook. I think it's called Old Testament Survey or something. Um, and there's one for the New Testament, of course. Sorry, Old Testament bias here. Um, and to have a one-volume commentary that just covers the whole Bible, basically, obviously, in one volume. And then if you're studying a particular book, like you're in Matthew, so you ought to have a couple commentaries on the book of Matthew. And there are various ways you can try to pick those commentaries, which should perhaps be a whole other podcast in itself. But you need, just need some basic books besides your Bible. And maybe it's just your Logos software that you have all these things in. Um, and so I would say start with your tools. And then I would say um, context. When I went through seminary, um, the, they told us the three rules of Bible interpretation. Mm-hmm. You know what they are, don't you? Location, location, location. <laughs> context, context, context. Right. And then when you say, I still get context. And so there's this process where you have to, so you're reading one verse back it out. What are you reading? What story is it in? Okay. What chapter, what, what larger section is it? What book is it in? What Testament is it in? So you sort of back yourself out in these concentric circles and then work yourself back in. And you may still not know what it means that I recognize that happens. Um, Use your community. Maybe take the question to your Bible study group. If you have one, take it to your pastor and say, I'm really just stewing over this. I don't quite get it. And I think at the end of the day, acknowledge that there's just some stuff you won't understand. And you and I have PhDs and there's stuff we don't understand. And we hope people don't really ask us about it because we still don't know it. And that's, it's humbling. I think that is perhaps one of the most important things about approaching Bible study is humility. Um, We are coming to a text that is so far removed from our culture from our language, from everything that's familiar to our worldview, everything we know, it's just totally removed from all of that. And you do need experts. You need the books, you need the resources, people who have studied the languages, who've studied the culture to give you the map. You, you have to have that for so many places. And so the humility that you don't know it all, and you're never going to know it all, um, the humility that you come to the text with your own bias ISEs, your personal and cultural perspectives on things that will affect the way you interpret it. So all of those things, you, you still don't understand your text. Well, pray about it and keep musing on it. And maybe next year, someone will come out with a great book on it. That humility you mentioned is so important. You know, Isaiah, the prophet says that the person to whom God will look is the one who is humble and who trembles at my word. And I want to once again echo and say an (laughs) amen to what you've said that, you know, here I am, yes, New Testament PhD, and I'm listening to Matthew and I'm thinking, you know, I don't, not only do I not understand what Jesus just said, I can't ever remember really looking into it and I feel sort of embarrassed. (laughs) Um, But that humility, I think, is totally healthy and it's scriptural. You know, Mm. Peter says that Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. (laughs) And when I read Jesus... Uh, I regularly do understand him, you know, and sometimes he goes on to explain his parables, for example, to his disciples who didn't get it either. Um, But I think of that verse also in Isaiah, you know, my ways are higher than your ways. You know, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Would I expect my creator God to say only things that are fully comprehensible, you know, immediately to me? 
I, I certainly wouldn't. And so when I hear things that Jesus says, I bow before him and I listen and I pray exactly like you describe. And you know, there are times when over the years, more understanding and illumination comes my way, both through teachers who've written books or who preach sermons to me and through my own personal Bible study. Now, I want to end with uh, this question. What's one Bible study trap? Just from your experience, your wisdom, um, whether you fell into it or have seen others fall into it, what's one Bible study trap that you think beginners do commonly fall into and how can they avoid that? Well, I have two. Um, the first one is not reading in context. So context, context, context. That's for beginners and seasoned readers alike. So so here's an example. You've got um, Laban coming to Jacob and saying, may the Lord watch between me and you. <laughs> And I found this quotation on a frilly Christian bookmark. You don't have and, a necklace with your wife, one of those uh, things? Right. Come yeah, on. I've seen that too. Um, and I left Amazon reviews, rather tart ones, on both of those products. Mm -hmm. And I had some fellow uh, Amazon users chide me a little bit, but I'm mm -hmm. standing on the Bible, man. That's not <laughs> what he was talking about. You just zoom out one easy level of context, and he's basically threatening Jacob, like, yep. God's watching what Stay you're away doing. From each right. Other. That's right. Exactly. God will get you. <laughs> It's not a Hallmark card moment. No, it's not. Unless they have a secret dark line that I don't know about. Right. My other favorite, and this one isn't quite as bad, um, is 1 Corinthians 13, which of course is the love chapter and how we love to use the love chapter. And all the things it says about love are true, but you still want to take that with the context of Paul was writing to a church that was anything but loving. And he had all sorts of admonitions and rebukes for this church. Um, and yet we sometimes approach that text as if it's this warm, fuzzy, loving thing, which, okay, those love is all those things. Yes. But take it in context for what Paul was getting at and who these people were. They were never an example of anything. Yeah. With that, the first Corinthians 13 is, is a polemic set in the middle of rebukes about how they're <laughs> messing up the gifts from the spirit. Yes. Okay, so that was number one. Okay, that's number context. one. My second one is you don't always have to get up from your Bible study with a takeaway application for the day. Um, I think sometimes we rush to find application that we can do today or we can do tomorrow. And I think sometimes we're forcing the Bible to be pragmatic where it's not always being pragmatic. It, it has something bigger to say and we're trying to make it say something to today, um, to my circumstances, my precise circumstances. And, and let me clear my throat, of course, and say the Bible does apply to all your circumstances. And yes, but sometimes we feel so forced, I think, to come away with this take-home point. This is what you can do today, that we just fail to think about the bigger picture. And maybe it's just a thought to meditate on. It's not an action point. Um, I mean, the, the Bible is profitable for four different things Paul talks about, 
um, doctrine, and they aren't all application, right? You know, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. And you grew up on the so, King James, just like me. I did, I did. Yes, doesn't matter what the other versions say. I can't remember what they In say. Fact, it's doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. I remembered <laughs> the. Uh, you know, I, I like to use the first letter as a mnemonic device, a little acrostic there, and I just can't make myself learn a new one for a different translation. Once again, boy, <laughs> that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly right. furnished. Well, no, 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 <laughs> truly, truly, it says. In the King James Version. Oh, I must have learned the wrong one. Yeah. Hey, I I beat you on King James knowledge there. One letter. That's okay, because I still want to say again, I just so agree with you. Both of your points are really excellent. And I find hope in them because um, I want inspiration for the day. I want to obey the Lord today. But I Mm -hmm. I recognize, uh, N.T. Wright gave this illustration I've read years ago and always thought of it. He said, you know, sometimes we wake up in the morning and we want a general at the end of our bed saying, go do this, go do that. Um, but what we have is a storyteller at the end of our bed saying once upon a time. <laughs> now, he doesn't mean the Bible is a fairy tale. He means it's mythological no. in C.S. Lewis's sense of true myth. You know, this is a story mm-hmm. that actually happened. It's a world shaping story. And you just need to soak in that story without necessarily knowing that day how soaking in that story is going to influence, you know, the way you play your part part in that story. Uh, There may be days when you have that devotional nugget and it carries you. And that certainly happens to me too. But if you set up that expectation, you will be disappointed. And then you'll, you'll miss this bigger and richer and deeper benefit of the Bible. Um, Dr. Witter, Wendy, I appreciate your coming on the Bible Study Magazine podcast and speaking with transparency and with throat clearing and accuracy uh, and clearly from experience, long experience in the church on this topic. Thank you. Thanks. I've got some roundtable participants here from Faith Life, and I'm going to do my best take a stab at introducing them and mentioning things that are relevant to our topic. And I want them individually to correct me and add anything that I don't think of. So I've got Brent Carter here who helps people buy the right stuff. And when it comes to Logos Bible software, he was a pastor for 18 years and I'm guessing he started when he was 10. Um, <laughs> and now he works for us. So what else about you, Brent, is relevant to the topic that we're talking about today, uh, Bible study? Oh my, um, I would say uh, uh, one of the things, uh, um, just in my past experiences, uh, especially um, in particularly when I was um, pastoring full-time, uh, you're, you're constantly trying to drive people to become self-feeders, uh, driving them to a place where they're actually growing in the Word and getting them to engage in that. I mean, oh my, I, I thought it was so great um, uh, how Wendy talked about the fact that it's all over the spectrum, right? And and that's what you encounter, um, especially in the everyday life of when you're just trying to disciple others um, and getting them to engage in different tools, uh, which I wish I would have known that earlier on in my own life, that there were actually tools because, um, you know, uh, my, my salvation experience was, hey, here's a Bible, go for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, definitely. So you, you've got years of insight into this, these questions about Bible study. Now, Abby Stalker is also with us. She comes from our editorial task force at Lexham Press, and she helps the church grow in the light of the Bible by editing a bunch of the stuff that we produce at Lexham and is also studying herself in seminary. Tell us what else about you is relevant to Bible study, Abby. I guess those are the big points. Um yeah, other than being a Bible reader myself. 
Okay, good. So we're, we're getting representative here. And we have another seminary graduate who picks books for the Logos Bible software base packages here, Daniel Motley. Um, tell us about the work that you've done in the church and how, how is your story relevant to our, I know it is, our topic of Bible study, Daniel? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up in the church, um, Southern Baptist. And then after I uh, really kind of came to faith as a young man, I decided to go to a seminary or I was led to seminary by others who saw in me, uh, you know, the, the desire to teach others about Jesus. And so went to seminary, uh, along the way I taught, or I was a youth pastor for two years. So I was very much involved in teaching young minds about, uh, the gospel and about Jesus Christ and the Bible. And that was like the most eye-opening experience was trying to get all of these, uh, hormonal teenagers to, uh, think about, uh, you know, the gospel of Matthew, so very much interested in this topic, uh, very interested to hear what we all have to say about this. We've had a couple episodes already where we've talked about what is biblical literacy. You know, as we sit here in the studio, we've recorded a lot, but I want to dig into that question again. I feel like it's helpful to get the perspective of the different people in this room on what is biblical literacy? How do you define it? Uh, well, in a simplistic way, um, I would define it the same way um, uh, that it was just explained, uh, that it's understanding uh, God's story and how our narratives uh, are actually involved in that. Um, you know, I, I thought it was really funny, um, the point that was brought up about uh, being able to join and understand uh, a, bibli a biblical or theological conversation. And just in my own experiences, I've learned that people aren't so hesitant to join uh -huh. <laughs> in those conversations, but to actually understand what the meta narrative is, you know, what, what that actually is and speak to it in a way, not as a scholar, but just someone that actually reads their Bible. Um, and of course, you know, uh, you know, coming from the, the viewpoint of the text says what the text says, and then wrestling through that, that, that has been the challenge. And I, I do think that we want to be careful to not kind of set these mile markers that we expect everybody to hit um, in order to be considered literate in in regards to all things biblical. Um, you know, so I, I think that is, in my mind, how, how I would kind of explain that as well. Yeah, Dr. Witter had a, I think she defined it as a familiarity with the book. Uh, like that's, that's very basic, but that's accurate. I mean, that's, I mean, like, cause we, we all have levels of familiarity with the Bible. Uh, when I, you know, when I was in high school, like I, I, you know, I knew what the Bible stories were generally, but as you start to learn more and more and more, you start to see how everything congeals together from a top standpoint, but mm -hmm. also the very bottom as well. So, oh yeah, just like that, that's a pretty simple, but helpful definition. I think. Brent, I think you bring up a good point too, that I think of as specific to biblical literacy versus other kinds of literacy in that it is something that's personal and transformational. And I don't know, I don't think of, so I did my undergrad degree in English literature, right? There are ways in which British poetry is very uh, influential in my life, right? But I don't think of that as a key part of literacy in the British literary canon in the same way as I think of biblical literacy involving that personal kind of uh, commitment to the text. You didn't find Lord Byron transformative in the I same mean, way? I mean, he is, but <laughs> maybe not quite the same way well, one that, would hope. <laughs> that is an excellent point. And you have earned your faith life dollars for coming on to this podcast roundtable, Abby. Uh, we, we're not expecting um, works by mere humans to have the same kind of transforming power that 
a book mm. written ultimately by God is going to have. Of course, you wouldn't have studied English if you didn't find it in some way life-transforming. Um, but you want God to transform you into his image in a way you don't want, I hope, Lord Byron to transform you <laughs> into his. Good. Those are all well, good answers. And can I just add to you, like some some scholars of the Bible that we can, you know, we can read their work. They have insights into what the Bible says, but they don't personally hold it as something that they follow, right? For yeah, that's right. various reasons. Um, and I don't know. I I always find that a little bit troubling, um, even though I feel like I can appreciate their scholarly insights, right? Sure. There's something about the personal application and the personal uh, transformation aspect of it that I want to be hearing from other people who have also had that experience, uh, right? Who have that in mind. Right. So when it comes to personal literacy. So, so there, there are scholars who in one sense, maybe the cognitive sense are biblically literate. Clearly they can say stuff about what the Bible teaches that is true and helpful to people who believe it. But there's a huge ingredient. I mean, the most important ingredient missing if, I mean, Jesus said it, the, the most important command in the entire Bible is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the great interpreter Augustine said that good interpretation ultimately accords with love for God and love for neighbor. If you don't have that, then ultimately speaking, you're not going to be doing good interpretation and your biblical literacy is wasted. We're not trying to pile on unbelieving scholars. We're just feeling for them. You're, you're missing it. You're missing the point. Mm -hmm. Okay, so where did you all start with day one on biblical literacy? Can you remember back in those days, whether you were a kid growing up at the church or a new Christian, what would you say? I would say for myself, the first time someone said, hey, do you have a commentary? And my response was, what is a commentary? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, you know, uh, just kind of growing up in the tradition that I did, um, there was a very high importance set on personal experience. Um, and what your own understanding of scripture was, right? Which that could be all over the map, depending on who you're talking to. Um, but, oh my word, it was kind of mind-blowing to where I thought, wow, there are people that actually go to school to like learn more about the Bible, and then they actually write these commentaries on particular books or particular doctrines. I, I know in some circles, they're like, oh yeah, of course, but where I grew up, that was unheard of. And it just opened up this theological and biblical renaissance for me um, to where I had always had a desire uh, to know more and to understand the Bible and to be able to op open a passage and walk, you know, I mean, to walk away feeling as if, wow, they, they might as well have been speaking a totally foreign language to me. Um, because ultimately, in a lot of ways, that's what, you know, certain passages were. Um, but to learn that there were resources out there of people like, you know, like, like you said, Abby said that, you know, hey— you know, they're not authoritative, right? But if someone had more understanding than I did, just for them to give me a glimpse of, okay, from their perspective, this is what this particular book or this particular portion of text is saying was huge uh, for me personally. And it, it happened, I, I wish I could say it happened to me when I was younger. <laughs> it, it actually happened to me in adulthood, actually, when I was, uh, you know, just starting out as a youth pastor, you know, because, oh, my word, the pressure that was there of I have to understand this somehow and then teach this to somebody else and not really be confident that what I'm saying is accurate is scary. Yeah, a big feature of the answer to the question, where do you start, ends up for a lot of people being starting by realizing that other people have said valuable things about the Bible yes. that I can really learn a lot from. And that's just what the Bible tells us to expect in Ephesians 4, that God, through Christ, gave teachers to his church. That's what 
we sell here at our company and what you edit, Abby, and what we write. And um, and that's what preachers are. They they are, without being perfect, they're God's gifts to his church. Uh, where else did, where did you, uh, my other guests here, where did you start with biblical literacy? I started probably when I was a you know young kid uh, hearing the hymns of the church. I mean, that was obviously hearing mm-hmm. the stories of the Bible through the hymns of the church. The Baptist tradition has quite, you know, this musical traditions where we get our a lot of our theology, I feel like anyway, at least it was for our church, because they were just happy that you showed up, you know, as a, as a youth, you know, being a youth in the youth program, like just the fact that we were even there was a great thing. So um, there was no emphasis on, hey, you should read this book. That would have been unheard of because literacy itself where I'm from is, is it can be quite low, <laughs> like getting people to, getting kids to read is just unheard of. Uh, but it wasn't until probably my undergraduate that I really started to dive in by talking with some professors and trying to get, you know, pick their brains about where to go and what to do, uh, for Bible study. So, you know, introductions to new Testament or even just like a one volume commentary. I remember like someone was like, Hey, why don't you pick up the one volume MacArthur commentary? That might be a good start. I was like, oh, okay. Sound, and it was like a huge book. I mean, it's like that thick and for like a, like a freshman. I was like, oh, I'm never reading all of that. Um, but that was a huge help. Uh, so MacArthur was a huge help early on. And so just as, and just, just opening, opening up the floodgates from there. So yeah, starting out with that one volume commentary and with that introduction to New Testament really kind of opened the floodgates for me for uh, my own biblical literacy. Can I get anyone to toss out any other one volume commentaries that they might recommend? There is, this is two volume, I think. So that's Okay. Because I ask the question, I make the rules. <laughs> the The Bible knowledge commentary done by the folks at Dallas, oh, I've oh, seen yeah. people yeah, recommend it a lot. Yeah. And then, okay, this also isn't one volume. This is more like uh, 55 volume or something. Maybe oh, Daniel wow. knows, okay. but <clears throat> it's close enough. Um, and if you put it all together, I don't know, it counts as one. It's the Tyndall series, mm-hmm. Old Testament and New oh, Testament. I, I think mm-hmm. that is a really great place to start. And of course, a study Bible like the Faith Life Study Bible is a good place to start Anybody else? Yeah, Bible Speaks Today commentary series as well. Like that's a good if you if you are scared off by the word commentary, that's a good word, good place to start because it reads really well and it's very devotional, very practical, but also lets you know about the text. And it's written by some really excellent people: John Stott, uh, Derek Kidner. Oh, yes. Very good, very very well known, very church loving folks, and not just concerned with the, the academy. Yeah. You're listening to a major bibliography expert here. Daniel puts together our base packages. He's got some good wisdom for you. Oh yeah. I just love Derek Kidner because he's got that scholarly um, edge. You know, there's, there's a point he's making, but it's so eloquent and warm. I just find that to be pretty ideal commentary literature. What are some passages? Let's be specific here that you remember studying and then having to come to the final answer that I don't know what this is saying. And you just, uh, at, at that point, kind of have to table it. Has that ever happened to you in your Bible study? I want to encourage people who I think are going to come to that point. Yeah, I read the book of Revelation once and I said, what just happened? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was two weeks ago, wasn't that it? Was, that's right, the first time. No, that's right. So re- reading through Revelation is obviously like a, a jolting experience for most folks, especially if you've only... If you've only heard about Revelation through other people's views and haven't actually encountered the book yourself. Or through 1990s films. Or through 90s <laughs> films, which are just some beloved nostalgia for me. But yeah, like definitely reading through the first time and being like, this is very important. I ought to know more about this, but I have no idea where to start. Um, and so, yeah, that was a that was an eye-opening experience. Even as a more advanced Bible reader, reading through it is still a, quite a jolting experience. Yeah, it, it still is very challenging. Um, actually, I'm reading in uh, the book of Revelation right now. And uh, I think sometimes just uh, latching on to some of the low-hanging fruit 
to try to uh, not just gain uh, gain understanding, uh, definitely not to gain mastery, right? Because that's just not going to happen. Um, but even being challenged, uh, you know, where it says to, hey, th- read this book aloud mm-hmm. um, to where that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, it is transforming, um, just sometimes approaching it from a very simplistic way to where my, my goal isn't necessarily mastery. Um, my goal isn't, especially with the book of Revelation, isn't necessarily walking away and saying, yep, to my wife, honey, I totally understand the book of Revelation. Now <laughs> yes, sit sir. down, let me tell you. Um, but more so, um, uh, just having a love and a passion uh, to know God's word more. And oftentimes I'll admit, um, even after reading it aloud, no, there's no practical application for me um, that day, maybe even not that month. Uh, but once again, I think, you know, where she, uh, uh, where, where Dr. Wendy said that um, our goal should just be continual growth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm listening to your words here as a good host is supposed to do and liking a little distinction I think I heard you make. You said your goal is not necessarily mastery in any given study session. Of course, sometimes you're going to work to achieve that, especially if you're going to teach to others. Um, but but you also said you just want to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. And sometimes that's just exposure. Yeah. So I'm going to read numbers and I don't quite get why all these stories had to be told. My nine-year-old boy uh, got into Leviticus. And of course, we actually (laughs) told him, you know, you might want to read the book of John instead. But now he's determined he's going to read the entire Bible. Well, okay, fine. He didn't quite get it. But his exposure actually came out later in a conversation. He says, that's like Leviticus. Oh, my. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, does he understand it all? No. But was the exposure valuable for him? Yes. And when you try to understand the Bible, some of it, at least initially, is just, just Run your eyes over it, and then later it's okay if it takes time for that understanding to develop. I presume others have had the same experience because you're all nodding. Yeah, I, I even feel like sometimes there's a little bit of guilt that's put out there that, hey, don't don't you dare read that passage and mm. just read it and go over it. You know, you mm. need to marinate on this, and you need to walk away with something really tangible. And it, it, admittedly, sometimes in the back of our minds, we're like, oh, my word, I think I just totally read those those past two chapters and I just read it. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that, that's all I did. Um, but being able to come to a place to where we're, we're OK with that, once again, wanting wanting a deeper understanding and having that desire, that's great. But being able to say, you know what, I'm OK, just like your son, I, I just read it. And who knows? Later on down the road, it might come back to me in a, in a more powerful way. That, that's great. I mean, if the Bible is the revelation of a person, God, how, is my understanding of my wife, you know, did it basically all occur during the time period when we were dating and first year of marriage? And now I got it. I understand. No, the revelation of a person takes time to understand. And, and now that I really know her, I can look back on other experiences that we've had, other conversations we've had, things that she said, and put them into a better context. Uh, Vern Poitras makes this point um, I found so helpful. You know, if you're going to understand an apple, well, you slice it, you examine it under a microscope. Um, there are certain empirical tools that you use. Um, but if you're going to understand a person through his word, it's just going to be different. And the expectation of full understanding initially um, is going to let you down. That's not going to help you when you want to get into Bible literacy. Uh, we're not, right, discouraging anyone from digging and digging and digging. There are riches, there are treasures to be found, right? Yes. But we're wanting to encourage you, don't be discouraged if you read two chapters in Habakkuk and say, I don't get it yet. There are tools that can help you, and maybe it will just take some more time. 
thank you for the wisdom that you've been handing out here. Let me just ask the flip side question to sort of end our conversation here. Have you had the experience of digging into a passage you didn't initially understand, whether you had to teach it or write on it for a class, or you just wanted to understand it for personal reasons or for your Bible study? And, and over the course of time, maybe years, maybe a week, maybe that one study session, you did come to understand it. Talk to me. Tell me that story if you can. Give an example, if at all possible. When you needed to know what the Bible said, you you studied it and you came away saying, yeah, I really think I got that. And, and I can start if it's okay. Go for it. Okay. So I want to hear from you. I'm trying to make this quick. I, I had a very practical question arise in my life that is too personal to reveal on the air. Hmm. Back in grad school, actually, I had a dating relationship that hinged on the interpretation of a certain passage. <laughs> and I will just let you guys imagine what that was like. And so I, you know, this actually happened to me twice now that I come to think of it. And I just went to the Bible and I just pushed and pushed and pushed on the Bible. And let me tell you the, the first one, um, I'll tell you this one. It was about, it was about spiritual gifts. I had asked out a Pentecostal girl and I'm not Pentecostal. And that kind of came to a head. There wasn't like this massive conflict or anything, but we had to figure out what are we going to do? And I read those passages and I had to come away saying, you know, I'm not really sure I understand this well enough to make a life changing decision based on it. And so that relationship ended. Another one, I, which I won't reveal the details of, I felt like I pushed and pushed and pushed on this passage and it yielded. It took some time, but the Lord, through the study tools I had, um, through my prayer to him, through counsel from pastors, I felt like, okay, I do understand this passage and now I can proceed in obedience. Um, so I've kind of had both experiences and I feel like by not giving me an answer in the first one, the Lord was still mercifully revealing a direction for me. Has anybody else had a similar experience? And if you're willing to get as personal as I was, that would sort of help me feel less embarrassed. Oh, I've got one for you. Um, uh, you know, and, and oh my, this, you know, this definitely would probably uh, paint me in a particularly less favorable, favorable light with some, some individuals, but, um, uh, you know, it was, uh, kind of when I was in the midst of my theological renaissance and it was during the nineties where, you know, a lot of people were getting tattoos, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of feelings about that to where I had grown up in circles to where that's just not, you just didn't do that. And, um, and, uh, I, I believe it's a uh, Joel chapter three to where, you know, it, it's, you know, kind of this rallying cry of, you know, you know, beat your farm instruments into weapons. And we thought, oh, this is so awesome. And yeah, let's prepare for war for the Lord, right? And, you know, then later on, we're like, well, well, well hold on. This is actually talking about the disobedience. <laughs> and, you know, here we rallied around this and our understanding was totally not <laughs> what it should have been, right? To where it, it, it was speaking, uh, you know, that pr a particular portion of this passage was speaking towards our disobedience and resistance towards God and our, our flesh warring against God, not for him. And, you know, here you, you had, you know, a whole mess of us that thought, no, this is a great thing. And then slowly, as we actually dive back into the passage over years, we're like, oh my word, you know, that, mm -hmm. that, we, we totally didn't marinate in that one probably as we should have. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I think when it comes to the word of God, actually, I know when it comes to the word of God, uh, which is why for me, it's so affirming to know that it is living and that it is active, is that as we engage in scripture, our understanding is open. And we have those moments where we're shaking our head, like, I can't believe that's where I started. Um, but being able to 
uh, realized that the goal wasn't a one and done perspective of scripture, but okay, Lord, this is kind of what I'm seeing now. Please help me have a, a further and deeper understanding of this. And then over the years, we do understand more as we actively push into engage scripture in a deeper, deeper way of wanting to know more. Um, but I, I can think of a number of other passages that, that I've probably done that with <laughs> over the course of my lifetime. It's humbling it, to have to it's think very through humbling. all of your interpretational errors, but it's encouraging too to think there are times when the Lord has spoken to us through his word with greater and greater clarity as time has passed. We will now land the plane of the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Thank you for your input. It was a fun discussion and we pray together that the, this roundtable discussion and the interview with Wendy Witter will be beneficial to people who either want to achieve or to promote biblical literacy. Thanks for coming on the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Thank you. Thanks, You're Mark. welcome. Thank you. Support for the Bible Study Magazine podcast comes from Logos Bible Software. Start a better, deeper Bible study experience with Logos 8 Fundamentals. Explore scripture more thoroughly than you ever imagined with Factbook, an encyclopedia of biblical places, people, and events. Workflows that walk you step-by-step step through your Bible study. Notes and highlights, powerful and integrated note-taking capabilities for insights, ideas, and questions available in your Logos digital library, and much more. Learn more about Logos 8 Fundamentals and how it will transform your Bible study at logos.com fundamentals. You've been listening to the Bible Study Magazine podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Kaylee Joyce, and our audio technicians, Brandon Van Beek and Jack Underwood. I'm your host, Mark Ward, and I really appreciate your listening and subscribing. What could be more important in this life, on this earth, created by our Creator, than loving and understanding God? That's what biblical literacy is all about. That's the goal growing in the light of the Bible to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself.